Okay, you have in front of you a handout, Leadership Axioms. It's a book that's written by Bill Hybels, and uh, the purpose of this book was to be able to give just in some bite-sized chunks some leadership statements. Um, Every leader ought to be able to pinpoint guiding principles on important stuff of leadership and then distill them down to some memorable bites, just some bite-sized chunks that you can put into the, uh, really into the communication and into the uh, discussions that go on in your business. Last month, we talked about, uh, about teamwork and, um, and communication, and it's amazing out of those little chunks that we used how our staff used those. We talked about, uh, you know, the hiring of tens and, and other types things, go bad news first, then good news. And so a lot of our people embrace these. And I'm hoping the same will be true for you today as we look at another section. And this is entitled about vision and strategy, vision and strategy. Number one, here's your first point, vision, paint the picture passionately, paint the picture passionately. It was in 1774 that John Adams made this statement. Someday I see a union of 13 states, a new nation independent from the parliament and the king of England. That's what he said in 1774. He was the first man to publicly say, this is what I see is going to happen. And then, years later, we have the United States of America. In the late 1800, the Wright brothers picture today when people would soar through the sky aboard a metal capsule with wings. Ten years later... On December 17, 1903, the Wrights were there at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and they took the first flight. In the 1940s, Billy Graham got together with some of his college buddies, and they had a vision and a dream that they could go into stadiums and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who were far from God, and they would be able to hear the message. And then today, most counts are that close to 215 million people heard the gospel through them, and then a billion have been reached through television and radio. All these leaders had vision. The most potent offensive weapon in a leader's arsenal is vision. You've got to be able to have a vision, a direction to go. Here's a good definition of it. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in people. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in people. See, what people, if they can see the future, and you give them an idea as to where we want to go, then all of a sudden, that begins to get your people energized. There's got to be clarity. There's got to be a certainty uh, of that vision in your life, and then everything begins to change for the better. There's a clear sense of purpose. There's a direction. There's a stirring in your hearts, and then you take that and you share it with your colleagues. So the vision has to start with you. So each person here, if you're in charge of an organization, you're leading everything uh, from a, a Boy Scout troop to a, to a ball team to your organization, you need to have that vision in your heart. And once it's resonated with you, you then turn around and share it with others. Uh, the point that you've got on your, on your outline says this, paint it as colorfully and passionately as you can so that people's hearts are stirred. Paint it as colorfully and passionately as you can so that people's hearts are stirred enough to shout, count me in. Man, I'm ready. Nobody wants to come and have someone share some vision to say, well, I got an idea that I think that we could probably increase this and that. You don't want that. 
What you want is somebody to be able to, it's within their heart and it just resonates with them to be able to share it with others. You think about some of the great, uh, great leaders we've had throughout the years. You think about Martin Luther King. And when he stood, uh, I think it was 1963, and he gave that speech, uh, I have a dream. You should just go back and uh, Google that and just read that. It's unbelievable. But what he did was as he got near the end of his talk, he built this imagery of I have a dream. And he talked about, I have a dream that freedom would ring from here to here. And I have a dream for this and that. And he says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. And he just kept pounding that. And so the people got energized over that and began an incredible movement. I have a dream. Ronald Reagan, on the eve of his election in 1980, as he was running for president, he would constantly use this picture of um, a hill, a, a shining light on a hill, a city on a hill. And, and he took the biblical reference from the Sermon on the Mount and would say, America is like this uh, city that sits on the hill, and we are to shine a light. And he says, we are to be a shining city on a hill, to be a beacon of freedom for all the world. And he carried that through his, his eight years as serving as president. It was a picture. People saw that. They could see, all right, we're the city on the hill. A light is to shine forth. We're to be a beacon of freedom. And so that's why I'm telling you, you paint it with words and you paint it with purpose. Second of all, language matters. Language matters. The more I've read this and thought about it and look back over really my life and, and just 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 uh, what I've observed is that, man, that is so true. Language matters. Leaders rise and fall by the language they use. When you put the right words to a vision or a principle, it becomes axiomatic. So I'm going to challenge you. If you're a leader of an organization and you've come up with an idea, a vision, don't introduce it right then. Wrestle with the words and wordsmith that to get it just like you need it. You need to communicate your big ideas in a way that captures people's imagination, that catalyzes them to action. It lifts their spirits. They get creeds out of this. They get slogans out of this. They get rallying cries. You search for words that will grab the hearts and minds of your people and then move them to action. The right words in a vision will make your talk soar. And for us, we just went through a, a, about a year-long uh, consulting process, and we put together a new vision statement, a new mission statement for our church. And our mission statement is this. It is sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. It's nine words. It's only nine words. But when we present this to our church, we talk about every word, that every word means something, sending. We're not just people when you come and join this church is sit and soak. We're supposed to go out. We're to send. It's across the street, around the world. We are sending. Transform. That means a metamorphosis takes place in your heart. You become a different person. When Christ comes into your heart, you're to grow in that discipleship and be that transformed person to influence their world for Christ. Influence. We all have influence. We all have spheres of influence. And your sphere of influence could be your neighborhood. It could be your work. Uh, it, it, could be the, uh, it could be a ball team that you own, uh, that you're a part of. I mean, wherever you are, that's your sphere of influence. And you are to influence the world for Christ. And so we just, we hammer this. And, and before you know it, all of a sudden, your people began thinking about the word sending. They think about the word transform. They think about sphere of influence. And, and it motivates people and energizes them to move forward. And we'll have a tagline that we're going to really talk more about in the next year just called Live Sent. It's just Live Sent. This is how we're to live. We are to live sent. 
and that is that God has sent us to, to be his ambassadors and to be his witnesses. So we spent a lot of time just trying to wordsmith everything, and I'm encouraging you as a leader, think through it, get, get clarity on it, and then wordsmith it, and then share it with your people, and then run with it, all right? Number three is this, take a flyer. All right, take a flyer, F-L-Y-E-R. If it was I-E-R, you would think it would be a handout. What does it mean when someone says, hey, I'm going to take a flyer? What do you think that means? Take a chance. Take a chance. When someone says take a flyer, it means take a chance. Now, I'm not telling you to sell the farm on all this, but I'm telling you to just take a chance. Take a chance. Stretch people. Capture their imagination. When you think about vision and strategy, nobody wants to follow a boring vision. What people want is they want to be stretched. Now, deep down, they want to be stretched. On the surface, they're going, I don't know if I want to do all that. But deep down, they really want to tackle it. Deep down, people want to be stretched. I became pastor here in 1997. In 2001, we took our, our church through a time of 40 days of prayer and fasting. And I went through 40 days of prayer and fasting, praying about what was the direction for our church. And as we came to the end of that, I stood before the church in January of 2002, and I said, I believe I've got a vision, uh, you know, that God's laid on my heart for our church, and it's called the 2010 vision, okay? That means for these next eight years. I said, these next eight years, this is the vision for our church, is that we will have people from our church serving in all 24 time zones around the world. We will do ministry in all 50 states in the United States. We'll plant five churches in the United States. We'll plant one church in Canada. We'll plant a church in all 11 of the International Mission Board regions around the world. And we'll adopt one strategic focus city and pour our life into that. And that began the journey. People that are close to me came come to me. They come to me today and tell me this, to where they said, you shared that vision. And I got to tell you, I love your brother, but I said, he's crazy. <laughs> hey, ain't no way. And we had another guy came up to me Sunday afternoon. Uh, we had a reception. He just came up to my table and said, he just leaned down and said, hey, I just got to tell you, that 2010 vision, when you shared that thing, I started laughing. I said, hey, no way. Guess what? At the end of the time we had finished 2010, instead of like 200-something people going on mission trips, we had 1,300 every year going on mission trips. We covered 21 out of 24 time zones. We planted seven churches rather than five, planted a church in Canada, did ministry in all 50 states, and uh, we adopted the city of New York. That's the city we adopted, and over the last 13 years, we've been a part of eight different church plants in that city. Why? It was a vision that caused people to stretch. We took a flyer. Okay, we took a chance, and then people got behind that. So if you don't get anything else out of this talk, go back, look at the vision you have for your organization, and then see, is there something that's kind of God-sized in there? Is there something that's challenging and exciting? If not, I'd work on it a little bit. Get something that stretches people. Number four, the value of a good idea. The value of a good idea. It is amazing how one good idea can launch so many things. Just a good idea. For me as a pastor, if I get a good idea, it can launch a sermon series. Uh, it can change our organization. It can kick the uh, organization's activity into high gear. Uh, it can cause new staff structures just because you come up with one good idea. But it usually means you have to go through lots of mediocre ideas to get there. But you need to be thinking about what is this one good idea? So where do you go to get your one good idea? Everybody is built differently. For me, I need a little bit of solitude. 
Now, if I ever go to the beach and I can walk on the beach, God speaks in incredible ways, all right? It's just in, incredible. Uh, it's like everything gets, gets focused, and I can just sit there, and all of a sudden, it seems like these different ideas come, and I can put down my ideas. For some, it may be solitude. I love to run. I do long-distance running. I don't listen to anything. I don't listen to music. I don't listen to talk radio. I don't listen to sermons. I just, I just run, and it's just me. And I'm praying, and I'm thinking, and some of the best ideas come when I'm running. That's the good news. The bad news, I'm so old that by the time I get to my car, I already forgot the idea uh, when it was there. So if I did an eight-mile run, I'll, I'll pray to God, and I'll say, oh, mile four, that was such a great idea. I know where I was standing. Lord, could you bring it back to me? And sometimes he says, no, I'm not. Apparently it wasn't that good of an idea. But, but when you're out doing these things, all of a sudden you, you get these particular ideas. We did a, we came up with, a, recently we did a sermon series on the book of Esther, okay? It's a fascinating book in, in the Old Testament. And in thinking about that, uh, we felt the overall theme of this book is that God is hidden, but he's not hiding, now, what that means is, is that when you read through this book of Esther, it just feels like God is nowhere and everything's getting ready to, to, to fall off the cliff. But then you realize that he's always there in his sovereignty and, uh, and his providence, and he's moving things around. He's moving different things. And in, and in the meantime, people don't see him, and they think he's hiding. He says, no, I'm not hiding. I'm just hidden. I'm still working. And then all of a sudden, it all comes to light. So, uh, David Hicks, who's our incredible graphic artist guy, he put together a, a slide for us and a, uh, on our worship guide over here, okay? Now, when you see that, you see all those dots over there. If you look close enough, you can see the word war eagle. It's incredible that he's, no, no, no. <clears throat> you can see the word God uh, in there. And so, uh, and, and so our people, it was amazing. Just when we handed out these worship guides, people began to look at it, and they said, wow, this is, this is something. And, and, and it, it began to grab them. We go through the whole series, and we've got things called shade stories to where we, um, we will do some videos of people just telling their story. And so we go through this whole sermon series, get to the very last sermon, the way we closed out the sermon series was we showed a video of Paul and Anna Brown, young married couple who wanted to have children, and they couldn't. And so as they were dealing with infertility issues, all of a sudden the question of adoption came up. And they were never for adoption. But it just seemed like all of a sudden God began to change their heart, and they said, okay, we're open to it. And you capture on this video the fact that now they've adopted this young son, and they just walk through their story. And so in a four-minute video at the very end of it, it's just a perfect illustration of, you know, God, you know, he wasn't hiding. He was just sort of hidden. And he was working all these things out because he had a son picked out for you that you were to adopt and bring into your family. And it was just a perfect ending to it. That's what I'm telling you, a, a good idea, the value of a good idea. But now here's the second part of that. Once you have the idea, you need to steward it well. Do not waste a good idea. You need to steward it well. <clears throat> I went to uh, New York a couple of weeks ago. And a part of the trip over there is people got us tickets to the New York Yankees-Boston Red Sox game. And that was fun. I've never been to Yankee Stadium. So we go to Yankee Stadium, and we're sitting out there up in left field and they're playing the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox needed one more victory to clinch the pennant 
And, you know, the Yankees do not like the Red Sox. And there were a lot of Boston people there, and they're yapping, yapping, and Yankee fans are yapping, yapping. And there's just a lot of energy there uh, at the game. And so about the fifth inning, you got the big scoreboard. They start putting up stuff on the scoreboard, like, hey, congratulations, Fred Smith or so-and-so, just just retired after 40 years or so-and-so. And And, uh, -and so-and-so just came back from uh, military duty, congratulations. And they're just throwing all these things up. And then at the very end, also, they throw one up, and it says, Heather, will you marry me? Andrew. Well, so everybody's looking at the board. And then all of a sudden, we hear some commotion over there, kind of along the left field line over here. And, and all of a sudden, this guy stands up and uh, with this date. And he's got his number 42 jersey. And she's got her number 21 jersey. And, and, and we're watching over there. And, and all of a sudden, she's, she's unbelievable. She can't believe it. And he goes to one knee. And then he goes to one knee. Then there's confusion. And you see all these people moving around over there. And, uh, and then the crowd starts booing him, okay? Because he has somehow dropped the ring and he cannot find it. And they have all the section looking for it. And then the people above him, boo, boo. It was such a good idea. Um, but and so, so then, you know, we're wondering, so we're trying to watch the game, and we're looking over here, and, and the TV coverage, what the TV coverage is, is that I, I saw later, is that they would show a pitch, and then they'd switch over to that section to see everybody was up. Then they show the next pitch, and they come back over the section over here. And then, and the guy, he's so upset, he starts crying. There's no crying in baseball, you know. What are you, what are you thinking? Oh, oh, what a wimp. And so he's tearing up. She's trying to console him. And then all of a sudden, we hear this raucous cheer come from all these sections over here. When he dropped the ring as he bent down, it went into the cuff of the pants of his fiance, of the woman he was, he was uh, uh, trying to ask her to marry. And when she put her leg, she looked down there, and she pulls the ring out. So she gives him the ring. And, then, uh, and so we're kind of hearing all this cheering going on. And the PA announcer comes across and says, the ring has been found. <laughs> and so everybody, everybody cheers. Well, I was sitting with some other guys, and I said, well, did she say yes? I mean, I mean, hey, the ring's fine. That's good, but you still got to get a yes out of here. And there was no more than five minutes later says, she said yes. Yeah, and everybody's cheering over there. So I just want to tell you, you got to steward the idea well. Just because you got a good idea, don't be like Andrew. Man, this guy blew it, all right? But they finally got the thing to work out. Steward your idea well. All right, number five is this. Number five, vision leaks. Vision leaks. Some people believe if they fill somebody's vision bucket all the way to the top one time, those buckets will stay full forever. Hey, you know this as well as I do. Wherever you work, you got your job, and then all of a sudden you come home, you got kids to raise, a lawn to mow, bills to write, you got a lot of other things going on in life. And they just punch holes in that bucket. And that vision that was shared so excitedly maybe a week or two ago, all of a sudden it begins to leak because the rest of life begins to surround you over here. This is what you need to remember. You need to continue to fill up the buckets. You've got a, a line that says top off their vision buckets by reporting on the vision's achievement, okay? The best way to keep vision going is to just give them some updates as to what has happened. This was our vision. This is what we wanted to do. And if you want to keep vision going, 
give some victories, get some W's in there and say, hey, let me tell you what we did. We had a program called Chapters Program to where as we gave money, part of it would go to mission advancement to 10 different uh, people. And every so often, strategically, I'd stand before our congregation and say, hey, you know, we gave money uh, to the Azores to build a children's camp. Uh, they just sent me their first report. They had a children's camp there in July. Five kids came to know Christ as Savior. All right, and got you a victory over there. We wanted to get a sound system for a church over here in New York in the Bronx. And guess what? They got their sound system, and, uh, and people are rejoicing because they can finally understand the preacher and what he's saying. And so, you, you know, there's, there's on and on. You just want to report some of the victories. Number six, values need heat. Values need heat. You say, what do you mean by that? When you took chemistry class in high school, you had these little Bunsen burners. You know those Bunsen burners? And uh, you turn them on, you light the match, and you get the flame. And you take something that was uh, in a beaker, and you put it on top of that Bunsen burner. And whatever was inside that beaker would begin to change its state. Some of them would change because the heat got to them, and there was transformation and change. When you share values uh, and a vision and values at your particular organization, sometimes you got to turn the heat up on there. And you got to turn the heat up, and you turn the heat up so that it begins to change the state of other people. And by turning the heat up, it means that you talk about these, you preach about these, you reward people who do things that connect with the values, okay? And so as you begin to reward it, you begin to promote it, you're turning the heat on it, you praise people who do this, you, you just have to figure out what values are that you believe. And then you put it on that Bunsen burner and you begin to turn the heat up. And anytime you can put your arm around someone and say, hey, I saw so-and-so, they connected to the values, thank you for doing this. Publicly let people know, hey, this person over here did so-and-so, it connects with our values constantly promote it, put the heat on it, and it will change, okay? For us, we keep talking about every person's on mission. Every person's on mission. Every leader is a servant. You just, those things, you just keep hammering over and over. And whenever you see somebody being a servant leader, you point it out. Whenever you see a person on mission, uh, you know, you uh, you point it out over here. In fact, I'll call out Matt. I got y'all's, your prayer tab uh, as y'all are going to New York City. Is that right? All right. Uh, so Matt and his wife are going to New York December 18th through the 21st. And thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to being with y'all. And, um, and, and, and what they put on their prayer tab was said, hey, we've got some church plants in New York City. Can you give me contact information? We would love to contact some of those church planters, take them out for a meal and help them out. I mean, how good is that? Thank you. So this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. All right. Number seven, you are always in a season. You are always in a season. Listen, as a leader, you need to know what season your organization is in. Every organization goes through different seasons. I'll give you real quick five seasons right here. Number one, growth. You may be in a season of growth. If, you're all, if your business is in a season of growth, you need to fuel the fire because you know it's not going to stay that way. It's either going to plateau at one time, fuel the fire. Number two, consolidation. Consolidation. What that means is the time of consolidation is we've had this big, fast growth. Now, all of a sudden, we've slowed down. During that consolidation, you build your infrastructure, work on the infrastructure of your business. Number three, transition. Your business may be in a transition. That means that you've had some staff leave. There's been a downturn in the economy. There's been an upheaval in the community. Something's happened, and you're in a transition. Number four is malaise. And you don't want to be there. That's when it's somber, stale, and it's stuck. And you need a way to shake up the organization. You need to understand this is the season we're in. We've got to do something to shake it up. And number five is reinvention. Reinvention. 
put everything under a microscope, discern whether you need to cut it, catapult it, put it on hold. Uh, you need to prune some things to get ready for growth. If you just think about those five things there as a leader, every business is in some season. You have to identify what that season is and what step you need to take in that season, okay? And last of all is this, make the big ask. A-S-K, okay? <laughs> it's always a hard one to say. You want to kind of stretch out that last consonant there. Uh, make the big ask. You say, what do you mean the big ask? Why are you doing that? If you have a big vision, it means you're going to have to make some pretty big ask along the way. That means if I've got a big vision, I'm going to have to sit down with some people and ask them to make some big gifts uh, and investments from a monetary standpoint. If I've got a big vision, I'm going to have to sit down with some people and say, I need some huge time commitments from you. Will you be willing to do that? If I've got a big vision, it means I'm going to have to probably bring in some new people to come work. And if I'm bringing in new people, I've got to make a big ask to say, I want you to come, leave what you're doing, and join us and join our work right here. So how do you make the big ask? Three things real quick and we're done. Number one, set the context. I read this in this book, and it was the most helpful thing to me because of where we are, and, and I got to apply this. Set the context. What I mean by that is uh, when you sit down with someone, you're getting ready to make this big ask, what you want to do is say, you know, I've been led to challenge you with something today, just right on the front end. Your answer will not affect our friendship, but I feel prompted to have this discussion with you today. Just let them know. I'm getting ready to ask something big of you. Is I'm not my feelings not going to be hurt one way or the other. Uh, but I'm prompted to do this. If you're a believer in Christ, and many times you say God, I believe has prompted me and led me to do this, and I want to ask you this. You just set the context right on the front end. Number two is this: make the ask clearly and succinctly. Make it clear and succinct. You don't want to be ten minutes in the conversation. The guy says, "I have no idea what you're talking about or what you want." What I've learned from this is on the very front end, tell them exactly what you want. If you're going to ask somebody to work with you, I did this. Uh, Tom Boston, we just hired Tom Boston. He's going to come start with us on the 17th. John Turner, our administrative pastor, is leaving to go to Galveston to pastor a church. Tom Boston's been in our church working in another area uh, with another business. I sat down with him in my office, and I said, Tom, I'm just going to tell you why I've called you in here. I said, I'm going to ask you today to begin praying about coming on our staff to be our minister of administration, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and I said, now let me explain to you why. And so you start right out. Just go on and get it out because everybody's wondering, why did you call me? What are you asking me for? If it's to make a big gift, I'm going to ask you to make a sizable contribution to, uh, to our vision. But I want to explain to you the details and why I'm going to do that. So put it on the front end. And number three is this, have an agreed-upon time for an answer. Uh, you don't need an answer right there. If it's big, they probably don't need to answer you right there. But say, hey, let's get back together a week, two weeks from now, and let's get an answer on you. Okay, does that make sense? Vision and strategy. These are huge. I hope you look over these. And if this can stretch your vision at all and, uh, and, and can Im impact the strategy you have for your organization, man, it was well worth it just for you to be here and, and to be here for this lunch. And when you think about the big ask, the big ask that I would have as we get ready to walk out of here today is when we have talked about thing, the things of God, and every so often you talk about, well, if, uh, you know, God prompted this, God prompted that. You know, the big question that we all need to ask is, do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do I have a relationship with God's Son? 
Do I have a relationship with the one who stepped out of heaven onto earth, who died on a cross for our sins and was raised from the dead, and who offers us salvation? Do I have that relationship? And so my big ask to you is that if you've never done that, that today you would be willing to do that or willing to talk to someone about that. I'll be more than glad to talk to any of our staff, be glad to talk to you and just answer that question and help you along that journey to make the most important decision that will affect you today and will affect you for eternity. I hope you all have a great, great day. and We look forward to seeing you back in November. Thank you very much.